Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. My brand new book, Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth, is now available. So much more than a book. This is a guide that allows me to hold your hand through your birth preparation journey. With over a decade of experience and knowledge packed in to ensure you really are empowered in the way you deserve to achieve a positive birth, regardless of the twists and turns that crop up. Make sure that you get your hands on Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth Book now and are empowered to have the birth experience that you deserve. Hello, I'm Midwife Pip and welcome to the Midwife Pip podcast, the home of honest expert chats. My mission is to provide you with the very best support and information through pregnancy, birth and beyond with my online courses over at midwifepip.com. And as a podcast listener, I'm also offering you an exclusive 15% off all my online courses using code PODCAST15. With no further ado, let's get chatting. Being a parent is a responsibility like no other. It is to have your heart walking around outside your body and your natural parental instincts are to protect your little one from any harm. So have you considered ensuring you have the essential choking and first aid skills to keep your little ones safe? Choking is one of those things we all hope we never have to deal with. But the reality is it does happen to some babies and children. So equipping yourself with the skills to deal with it could quite literally save your child's life. Sammy has joined me this week. She has been empowering parents by teaching them life-saving skills for the past five years. Before having children herself, she worked in a bustling, high-acuity hospital in Melbourne, Australia as a registered nurse. After completing her master's in nursing, she realised she had a second passion for teaching. Becoming a nurse educator allowed her to share her skills and teach student nurses and doctors at the front line. Soon after becoming a parent herself and making the big move to the UK, she realised her loved ones were not equipped with the skills they needed to care for her children in the case of a medical emergency. Sharing these life-saving skills with the people around her became her focus and she went on to start her own business teaching parents friendly first aid. Over the years, she's helped hundreds of parents and grandparents to know what to do if an accident did occur to their little ones. And having three children herself, she completely understands the worries that we have as parents and uses engaging ways to help us remember these important skills. She has a keen interest in the science of learning and knowledge retention and is always implementing new ideas to help parents to remember what to do. She offers baby and first aid sessions and has developed an online course devoted to all things choking. 
And of course, her Instagram account is also full of tips and tricks to help us with things safety. And yes, if there is a soft play near you, you can definitely find Sammy there armed with all the plasters. All of all of Sammy's Instagram and course details are also linked in the episode description. So welcome, Sammy. And by the sounds of things in the background, Finley wants to come and meet you again um, after meeting you when you taught us choking. So I'm going to welcome you to the podcast and then leave you for a moment while I go and rescue him. Is that okay? <laughs> I shall be right back. Okay. The joys of um, recording from home. I mean, I'm all for keeping it real. So Finley has now come to join us and I hope he's listening. Um, but anyway, welcome, Sammy. Sorry about your um, hello and goodbye there. But um, I understand you've been teaching first aid for parents for like around five years now. So what led you to deciding to dedicate your life to this and setting up the wonderful Happy Hearts First Aid as we now know it? Thanks for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. And I know it sounds really cliche, like something you might, you know, have on a motivational mug or quote on a mug, but I really feel like everything, you know, looking back, everything has led me to this point. Um, you know, being a nurse and having such a fascination with the human body, um, I've always, you know, part of my nursing degrees, I've loved every minute of that and really understanding the why behind, you know, why we do anything. And I think you probably identify with that, you know, being a midwife as well is, you know, you don't perform any intervention or give any medication or perform any ECGs or anything without knowing exactly why you're going to do it. You know, and that evidence-based kind of research that kind of stuck to me and it's become part of my personality unfortunately so that's something that really has shaped kind of my life um, but being a mum you know I've got three young kids as you said um, you know I need to know why I'm chopping up the grapes or why I'm making sure the button batteries are really secure you know and and why I need to make sure that the toys coming into my home are safe so it's that evidence kind of research that has such a strong impact on me and then um, moving forward you know when I was doing further studies um, and working as a nurse and doing my master's I'd often have my colleagues uh, be stuck on a really difficult concept or something so I'd go home and kind of make a game or a poem or something like that to try to teach them um, and, and help them through that so it's kind of no surprise that you know a year or two later I was working as a nurse educator at a really big teaching hospital in Melbourne as you said and then from there, it was obviously I was putting everything into my job and everything into my studies um, because my husband and I were trying for kids ourselves um, and we were struggling with that journey. Uh, so he suggested, he's, he's from the UK originally, and he suggested to come over to the UK and have a bit of a tree break um, and, and leave my job for a little bit, which is, you know, what a fantastic position that we were able to do that. Um, and soon enough, as, as soon as we arrived on UK soil, I fell pregnant naturally. I don't know if it was the, what, is the cups of tea or the fresh air or <laughs> what was happening. Um, so, you know, that, that was such a, a struggling, a, a difficult time because I was working in an in a industry where it's just women and they're all, you know, falling pregnant at the drop of a hat. So that was really difficult. But coming to the UK and getting, and getting pregnant really quite quickly was lovely, obviously. But it meant that I was in a new country, you know, with not many friends and, and a new baby. 
So when we kind of started our weaning journey or even before that, when my husband is obviously not equipped with any of these skills, um, that was kind of a flashback to my former self, teaching him what to do and teaching friends and family. And I think you'll agree, you know, when you become a parent, you do have that identity crisis and you don't know who you are anymore. So the fact that I could dip in and out of that and teach these life-saving skills was just such a saviour for me. Um, and, it, you know, over the last five years and throwing a couple more kids as well, it's really grown to what it is today. I love that. I feel like you were destined to come to the UK. Like your body was like, yes, this is the right place for you to, you know, proceed with your, your career and your family life. So that's amazing. Um, and we're very grateful that you that you did. And And I think... Definitely, like definitely, Sammy, for sure. It was something I didn't really think about. And, you know, obviously I've got medical training in terms of I've resuscitated many, many, many babies, but I didn't really think about it in terms of everyday hazards in my own home without medical equipment. That was a completely different headspace for me. And I think when it comes to learning, I know you're really, really passionate about teaching people in a way they're going to actually retain it and it's practical and it makes sense and it's simple because that's how we learn best, I think most of us. Um, And I really get that because I think when you understand the whys and the reasons, and I know you do some great little demonstrations on your courses, which we were really, really lucky to be able to attend with you. I think when you understand that stuff, then it makes sense. And because it makes sense, you can implement it. Whereas if someone says to you, you know, you've got to cut grapes up, otherwise your baby chokes. And that's it. You're like, oh yeah. Or you just avoid giving them grapes because you don't really know how to cut them up because you don't really understand the size of their windpipe and things like that. I think it's that that sort of extra level of detail that you give that makes it click with parents. And I think that's where it's powerful. And that's where we can actually help save babies' lives for those really unfortunate few that do suffer real choking. 100%. I mean, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. You can't learn anything without understanding why. And it's, you know, they're not difficult concepts. They're easy They're easy to learn. So that's what it's all about. If I can teach somebody why this is happening, then, then that's made my day. You know, if I can really reassure and give that mum or that parent confidence, I mean, mm. you know, what an awesome job I've got. It's, yeah, it makes me really, really happy to be doing what I'm doing. Oh, I love that. No day's a work day when you love what you're doing, hey? <laughs> now, weaning, and I totally get this because I am slam bang in the middle of starting our weaning journey at the moment. It's a really exciting time and we all really want our children to love food and for it to go smoothly and start experimenting. But also it's really daunting, but really crucial part, obviously, of our baby's development. But why do you think it's so important that parents develop skills in managing choking, ideally prior to even giving their baby that first taste of anything that's not their usual milk? I think really it's all about preparation being key. You know, if you know what to look for, if you understand the differences between, you know, gagging and choking, then you're just setting yourself up for success. We know, bless you. We know. <laughs> that was Finley, not me. <laughs> We know that, you know, for mealtimes to go really well, everyone has to be really at ease and really comfortable and not stressing out, not anticipating the worst, which is often, you know, what tends to happen if people are worried about choking. You know, we want to sit down with our kids, be able to enjoy mealtime and create those routines that are going to be successful, you know, years down the track. So that's why it's so important to head into it, feeling really, really positive and feeling really confident about everything, you know, choking. Mm. And it so happens that, that the parents I speak to, 
and I'm sure we'll get onto this in a minute, but they might have been confused as to what choking actually is, you know, and they have seen something else and assumed it was a choking incident and then that has tarnished things moving forward. And that's a really, really hard kind of vicious cycle to, to then undo because everyone's feeling the stress. So, you know, I, there's a saying in the UK is that they're starters you mean to go on, which I love because it's about being really prepared before you start so you know exactly what to look for, you know, and, and that's what confidence is. It's, it's kind of knowing what you know, trusting your skills. And uh, if your baby, if you give them some broccoli and they hate it and they spit it out, well, you can't control that, can you? But we can control the controllables. You know, if they did start to choke, we'd know what to do. And having that confidence is so vital, I think. And I think that's a really, really important, important point you just touched on there, that actually recognise what choking is. So choking is a medical emergency. But what we're, what babies do do when they're weaning that's completely normal is something different, isn't it? And I know this was a really key part of the education that you gave me and my husband because Finley gagged loads in that first week, but we weren't worried because we were educated. And I think had I have not been, I probably would have been like, oh, I don't want to wean. Like, actually, this isn't fun anymore because I'm really worried or I'm worried that he's going to get stressed about it and mealtimes aren't going to be fun anymore. So what is the difference between choking and gagging? And why don't we need to worry when babies gag? And thank you so much for asking this question, because this is, this is the number one thing, the biggest message that I want to give to parents and give to mums is really understanding that difference between gagging and choking. Because as you said, choking is a medical emergency. When we think of choking, that's an obstruction across the whole airway. You know, we can't get any flow of air. We can't breathe. So that's a medical emergency and we've got to step in and we've got to do it really you know, quickly and really confidently. But the chances are when people think of choking, they're actually thinking of gagging, which, like you've said, is so, so much different. We know that babies, when they're starting to eat, they gag all the time. Their gag reflex is a lot more further forward in their mouth. So it won't take much to make them gag. But in fact, that gagging is such an important part of their developmental process. You know, what they're doing is that they're using, think of someone gagging, you know, they're push, using their tongue to push the food forward in their mouth so they can munch on it with their gums or their one tooth, whatever they've got. Um, and they're actually decreasing the size of their throat as well to make it less likely for them to choke. So it's all part of the process of them learning how to eat. And as they're exposed to different types of textures and as they develop, they'll gag less and less. But gagging, you know, that horrible sound you hear, that kind of retching sound, maybe going a bit pink in the face, watering the eyes, that's completely normal. And we don't want the baby to think, you know, we don't want our little one to think that they're doing anything wrong or anything scary because it's so natural. So if we hear that nasty gagging sound, we're going to stay with them. We're going to obviously make sure it doesn't progress to anything that we would be worried about, but we'll stay with them and we'll encourage them and we'll know that this is just part and parcel of them learning how to eat um, and they're doing anything, you know, they're doing better than what we can do. Hmm. So gagging, that nasty sound, it's completely okay. It's completely normal. In fact, any time you hear a sound, it's normally a good thing. Sometimes we can have what we call a partial obstruction. So, you know, if you've ever had a glass of water and it's kind of gone down the wrong way and you've had a bit of a cough and a bit of a splutter, um, well, maybe perhaps something has gone down your airway, but just being able to cough and to splutter, again, you're doing better than anything else anyone else can do. So if, if someone's coughing, it's the same thing. If it's a baby or a toddler or even an adult, we'll encourage that coughing. Um, that, you know, they're trying to propel that obstruction up 
um, but choking in itself is much, much different to that. Choking that needs that medical, you know, intervention urgently, that's silent. So if an obstruction goes a whole way across the airway, that person, baby, child, whatever, adult, they can't run any air over their vocal cords, so it's silent. So that's the biggest difference, really, between what we might see. Is if, if they're silent, that's when we're going to become really, really worried and we'll need to step in. I think that's really helpful. And I think for parents to know that gagging is normal is game changing because it is, you know, it's it's not a nice noise. It's like when your babies cry. We don't particularly enjoy it, but we know it's normal. We know they're not like harming themselves. Um, and gagging, I think, is kind of similar in that aspect. And I certainly found just, just from my experience with Finley when he gags, but she does do fairly often, to be fair, especially those first few weeks. And he was like, what's this you're putting in my mouth? This is very different to a nipple. Um, which I think when you just think of it like that, it makes sense, actually, that they're going to have some sort of, you know, um, reaction to completely different textures and tastes and a spoon and all these things they're not used to that actually they will gag and, and that's fine but we've certainly found that by sort of when he's doing that either you know just smiling or singing or sort of chatting and sort of saying well done that's it it's so much better because otherwise they're going to panic they pick up on your cues don't they so if you're panicking they're going to panic and then dinner time suddenly becomes a really stressful chaotic time so i think by you being educated you can recognize okay he's just gagging this is fine it's going to pass let me just stay lovely and calm, you know, sing him a little song, cheer him on, um, tell him what he's eating, sort of, you know, let let him do his thing without getting him panicked is, is really important to keep dinner times nice and calm and not sort of stressful um, situations. <coughs> We're just taking a quick pause from this episode so that I can share with you a brand that I know you're going to love as much as I do. My little Finley is growing up fast and is almost on the move, which means it's now time to start making our home safe for him. Did you know that every single week, at least one child under five years of age dies in an accident, 75% of which happen in their own home? I think this is terrifying. And this is why the team at Cheeky Rascals offer a variety of products that not only help make parents' lives easier, but are also the safest on the market, including brands like Love to Dream, Rocket, and the Fred Baby Proofing Safety Range, which has everything you need to keep your little ones safe and your mind at ease. I want to support you to make your home safer for your little one and prevent them coming to any harm. So Cheeky Rascals are sponsoring this podcast and offering you 15% off Fred safety products using the code midwifepip15. Absolutely. And before you know it, you know, they've kind of gagged that bit of food out onto the trail and then it goes back into the mouth, you know, yeah. and then- <laughs> They're completely unfazed by it, you know, because this is so, so natural to them. Even some of the parents I speak to, even knowing the differences, they still, for some reason, the sound of someone gagging just really grates on them mm. and, and they just can't can't manage it. So sometimes, you know, if you are really struggling with that, even though you know that gagging is okay, sometimes I say, 
you can count backwards from 10. You know, it will give you something to do, preoccupy you, and that worry won't rub off on, on your little one. And then, you know, by the time you're up to kind of probably four or three or whatever, it's completely, they're on to the next bite or whatever. So that's a nice tip as well. Yeah, that's a really good point, isn't it? That actually when they do gag, like you say, that the little bit of food or whatever it is comes back up. Sometimes it's just saliva. And then they're literally like, give me the next mouthful. And I think that's really important because otherwise they're just going to associate it becoming a bit of a negative thing if you're then scared to give them any more. So, you know, a gag doesn't mean that's the end of meal time, does it? That's just part of the process of them learning. That's right, exactly. And they, you know, babies, we've been doing this for how long? So we're really good at learning how to eat. And in fact, you know, food is food. And, and for kids that love food, nothing's going to stop them, is it? <laughs> that um, is very true. Yeah, very true. My, my daughter, Audrey, uh, so she's she's the middle one. And, and when she was weaning, she did choke a couple of times. But, you know, once I had intervened and changed that situation, she was back into the food, you know. She didn't. She wasn't worried about mum in the corner having a bit of a breather. You know, they, they are fortunately quite unfazed by a lot of this stuff. My gosh, they totally are, aren't they? Just by life, I think babies are unfazed. So how common actually is choking, Sammy? True choking, not, not gagging. This is, this is a really, really hard one to answer because there's so many misconceptions about what choking actually is. I guess it's misdiagnosed all the time. All the time, all the time. And even though it's misdiagnosed, it, it still sets up on that, on that pathway to failure, really, yeah. or, or anxiety mm. for the parents. Because even though the baby was just gagging, they're now worried the whole time. So it's, so it's really hard to kind of give you any stats. We could talk mm. about, you know, kind of more fatal episodes, but, but when one of those happen, you tend to read about it in the newspaper. So there's probably the most recent stats are kind of four or five a year, which is obviously four or five too many mm. um, but we are getting better and we are increasing the awareness um, but with my three kids I've had three choking incidents so my first born no problems with any food at all Audrey you know she, she's a real hoarder of food so she did <laughs> stuff her mouth full a lot more and then more recently my youngest Harry he got his hands on something that he, should, he shouldn't have been eating mm. the older two and that led to a choking incident as well. But, you know, what we do as parents is we, we do the best that we can do all the time. You know, we do the best, you know, with the information that we have. And that's all we can ever ask of anybody is just to know about the risks out there and modify foods as best as we can. And then I guess be educated so that if there is a choking episode, we can we can actually step in. And actually, I, what you just said there, Sammy, it sort of struck a chord with me in that, your your youngest got hold of something the eldest were eating and obviously I've only got one baby in my house now but Finley absolutely wants everything that mummy and daddy are eating and that's another really valid point isn't it we obviously would never leave our baby in the high chair with food alone but if they're sat at the table with other people's food around especially young children that perhaps think oh that's nice the baby wants my whole grape um (laughs) I'll give it to them actually it's about making sure you're aware of, of those risks as well, isn't it? Not necessarily just what the baby's got directly in front of them, but, you know, ch- I mean, children's birthday parties must be an absolute nightmare. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's so surprising. It does always surprise me when, when I go to kids' birthday parties and there is obvious choking risks there, you know, at, for people to grab. You know, I'm not some kind of fun police. I'm not, you know, just... <laughs> 
I just know how to be safe. And in the end of the day, that makes my life a lot easier because I don't need to worry about my kids most mm-hmm. of the time, you know, when they're at home because everything's safe. But um, it's really surprising when you start to talk to people and, and you realise that not everybody knows, say, grapes are a choking risk or not everybody mm-hmm. knows about bat- button batteries or whatever it might be. But coming back to what you said, I mean, popcorn is a perfect example. You know, my eldest is mm-hmm. sick. My youngest is too. So popcorn's not a safe snack for everybody. And that gets thrown everywhere around the house, doesn't it? Because popcorn's a game as well as a snack. <laughs> Absolutely. It doesn't matter how old you are. <laughs> you know, loves that. Um, but I think that comes back to having your rules as, as you know, as parents or as a mum or as a family and saying, okay, we can have popcorn in the house, but it's got to be when the younger two are asleep. Mm. Or, you know, we can, we can, we can, ha- we're not going to eat food in the car. That's another really, really mm. great one. You know, as hungry as you are, you know, you're not going to have food in the backseat of the car because I can't keep an eye on you. And if you're choking, then I won't be able to hear that you're choking. So that's our rule and we're going to stick yeah. to it. And if you, yeah. again, if you know the evidence and, and you know the why behind that, then that would be easier to stick to. Mm, they're really really good points actually um so thank you for sharing that with us now sammy how can we help prevent a choking emergency now i know you could probably talk to us about this for like long long time because every food potentially could be a choking hazard but what are the kind of top things that you see or that you would recommend to help prevent it because prevention is better than cure right Yeah, absolutely, with everything. I think the biggest message for anyone listening is that there is so much that you can do. Don't kind of sit back and be worried about this because if you're proactive, that, as you said, prevention is better than cure. Um, So knowing the differences, knowing what choking actually is, that's obviously a massive one. Um, But always making sure your baby is nice and alert and awake when you're feeding them. I mean, you know, I've I've been guilty of kind of having a laugh at my kids when they're half asleep eating. (laughs) Um, But if you are seeing that, you know, as cute as it is, and you can use it on their 18th birthday, you know, but um, it, it's, it's not a safe thing to do. If we're eating, we need to be awake and alert. Um, and that's going to really help, you know, with our airway and keeping that nice and open. Uh, food needs to be prepared appropriately. And, of course, I could talk about that one all day. Mm-hmm. But it's knowing what the risks are. And they're generally, you know, round foods. They're hard foods. They're foods that are, that are difficult for us to eat. So popcorn is a really good example or, you know, chunks of meat. So it's about knowing those riskier foods and preparing them in a safe way because there's generally, for most of them, there's a safe way to give them, mm-hmm. maybe boiled sweets and whole nuts they might be the exception you know um so so know how to prepare the food and always always supervise our babies and our children when they're eating because as we said choking is silent yeah so um so you know that's an important one for grandparents or aunties and uncles as well they might not realize that so it's about it's about teaching others around us if if we're eating together as well we are really you know we're setting the trend aren't we and we're able to role model the expectations and we're going to be taking our time when we're eating our food and when you know when they're old enough using a knife and fork to cut it down into smaller pieces Mm -hmm. so all of those messages really help um, when it comes to a toddler, you know, with my kids, they don't play chasey when they're eating. You know, that's one of our rules. I'm sorry if your friends are doing it, but when we're eating, here comes a fun police again. Um, but when <laughs> we're eating, we're going to be sitting down and we're going to be really chewing our food and paying attention to what we're doing. So it's all, it's all of those things that, you know, 
kind of gives you confidence and you start to get this awareness and know what to look for and know what's safe. And it's all of those kind of almost those um, those micro habits or I'm sure I've just finished reading Atomic Habits by James Clear. I'm not sure if you've read that book. <laughs> I haven't, no. Yeah, it's a really good book. But he talks about all these little small things that we do that over time add up, you know, to great things. And anything safety is, is, a, is a perfect example of that, you know, preparing the food appropriately, staying with the child. All of those small little things really do add up. And it's it's simple things, isn't it? That's what's so brilliant. You know, it is those simple things. But often with the simple things, they're the things that we forget about because we're just so used to shoving a whole carrot or whatever in our mouth. Um, but it is that just sort of take, taking a step back, I suppose, isn't it? Um, and it's really useful to know that there's lots of things we can do to prevent it. I think that's really helpful for parents. It doesn't need to be an ine- inevitable part of your your weaning journey at all. That's just where education is so important, Sammy, isn't it? I know that's something you're really, really passionate about. Now, let's say we haven't managed to prevent it. We've been one of those unlucky few. What key steps should a parent take if they do identify true choking? So gagging, we've said, leave well alone. Your baby's going to clear that on their own. Sing to them, count backwards, be relaxed. But what about if there is true choking? Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So we'll know that they're choking, they need help from us. We'll know because they'll be silent um, you know, they're not able to make a sound. They'll be changing colour and they'll be really panicked. So they're the type of things that we look for. And when we see those things and we, you know, when we lost that sound, when it's silent, that's when we need to step in. I always say, like, call out for help, you know, more hands is always, is always more helpful. If you're on your own, it wouldn't be unreasonable to chuck your phone on the speakerphone and, and call for an ambulance and tell them that you've got a choking baby because you want as many hands to the scene as possible. But if you're at a cafe or something like that, of course, you're going to use your voice and call out for help and get some support. But at the same time, I need to try to stay as calm as possible because that's going to really help things moving forward. So what I would do is I've got my help on the way and I would have a look in the baby's mouth. So the management over the age of one is a little bit different. So I'll just talk about babies now if that's okay. But I'm going to have a look in their mouth, just open it up and see if I can see the obstruction. If it's something that's really, really easy to grab, you know, maybe in front of the teeth or the gums, and I feel confident that I could get it out, then I can pinch that out. But if it's further down at the back of the mouth, if I try to pinch that out, I could actually push it down even further so we need to be really careful around that Um, so only pull it out if you feel really happy that you can get it Um, but if that hasn't been the case we're going to move on to our first maneuver which is called back blows and we've got up to five of these that we can deliver so we've got up to five chances to make this maneuver work and really it's all in the position of the baby and the firmness and the pressure that you apply with each back blow But essentially, you want to get them in the position that their head is lower than their bottom because you want to optimise gravity. We're going to generate some pressure and we're going to try to get this obstruction up and out. 
So to do that, what I would do is I'd hold quite loosely around the baby's jaw and then, like we said, head lower than the bottom. So you could do it on your arm or you could probably easier, you know, to do it over your thigh if you're sitting down. And we're going to deliver our back blows in between the shoulder blades. And when I do that, I want to come down with a downward angle. Most people find it easiest to use kind of the heel of their hand so they can generate a good bit of pressure because, unfortunately, it will need some pressure to pop this obstruction up and out. I'm going to do that up to five times. And after each, I'm going to check the mouth, check on the floor, you know, have I got that bit of grape or that bit of hot dog, whatever it is, has that obstruction come out? Because if I've managed to get the obstruction up and out, obviously I don't need to keep on going with the back blows. So I'll always check after each one. And it's really reassuring to see that obstruction come out, you know, regardless of what it was, we want to make sure that, that it has actually come out. So that's why we're always looking for it. So we're going to do up to five of those back blows to get that obstruction out. And, you know, chances are something will work there. Often what happens is parents might do the first couple really, really lightly because they're worried that they're going to, you know, hurt their baby. But this is a life, you know, threatening situation and we do need to use a little bit of force. So what tends to happen is the more you have to do, the kind of firmer they get as you start to get a little bit more worried. But that kind of tends to be the type of pressure that you, that you might actually need. So if it's not working, these back blows, just have a think, could you do them just a little bit firmer? I mean, what's going to happen? You're going to have a bit of a red mark or maybe a little bit of a bruise on, on the back, which is a really, you know, well-protected part of the body. Um, and maybe your baby's going to be kind of screaming because mum or dad's just given them a massive slap on the back. Oh, but, you know, that's a good sign, actually, because now they're making a sound. So they've got a nice, clear, open airway. Um, so it will take a little bit of force. So once something there will work, but we do have a second manoeuvre, which is called our chest thrusts. So if the five back blows haven't worked, we turn the baby over and give up to five chest thrusts. Again, always looking in the mouth, seeing if we can see that obstruction come up after each one. And essentially you're going to rotate between those two manoeuvres. You've got help on the way um, and you're doing everything you can to get that obstruction up and up and out. So with my daughter, Audrey, and the times that she's choked, I managed to remove the obstruction on the second back blow. So, you know, this stuff definitely, definitely works. And that's why we do these interventions. We know that they work. So I want parents to feel really reassured that if they did see a choking episode, absolutely, this is what's going to sort it out. Yeah, and I think it's really important what you said there, just to reiterate that back blows aren't like a gentle tap. And I think even through the audio of a podcast, um, you can hear the pressure that you're putting through. And as much as obviously no one wants to be sort of putting any force through their baby's body, this is the time where actually that is necessary because it's going to save their life. So not to feel guilty about that, actually, it's, it's a necessary life-saving life-saving um, procedure, I suppose, to, to make sure you do. And that is really helpful, Sammy. So thank you for sharing for sharing that. And I appreciate for those listening, you know, it's not something you, you want to think about, but it's something that you need to think about because it's really important should it happen, you are equipped with the skills and education. Now, Sammy, everyone that comes on the podcast, I always ask for three top tips. And I know this is going to be hard because you could probably share a lot of top tips, but I wonder if you could share your three top tips for new parents around um, kind of their baby first aid or choking specifically. 
yeah, well, um, I could I could talk all day because I do love myself. <laughs> but really, one of the, the top tips would be to put on, imagine that you're putting on a pair of kind of goggles and through those goggles or those glasses, you're going to see things differently. You're going to see things like a, a, a crawling child, a crawling baby or a toddler would. Mm. But literally get around the house and look at things in a different perspective and see what you pick up on. You know, what's hanging around under the sofa or, you know, where, where are you storing your dishwasher tablets? So just kind of look at your house in a bit of a different way and channel kind of your inner Sammy, you know, and try to try to see what safety measures that you can take to make things much easier for everyone, really, and, and to be really preventative. So that that's a good tip, you know, whether it's looking looking under the couch or even looking in the cupboard. I mean, what shopping with do you eat every day that you could modify or change? Um, with the dishwashing tablets, we know that 40% parents in the UK aren't storing those appropriately, and you know they look like sweeties or they look like lollies don't they mm. so that's a really easy small change that we can all make so have a look around your house that would be one of my my best tips that's a good tip and that it's not just food like there's household stuff that babies choke on as well so that's really valid thank you sammy yeah um another tip would just be to always have a recce of the toys that are in your house um because again you know we have been focusing on talking about food here but any household item could be a choking risk so in particular um caution needs to be paid to any toys that have got magnets in them um and um you know, most magnets in toys are those kind of super strong magnets they're a choking risk in their self but if a baby swallows a couple of those then they can be fatal so if you're buying toys with magnets um you know a common example would be those magnetic type tiles um or if people are buying you know christmas presents and things like that always make sure that you're getting those types of toys with a CE mark on them you know that they're safe you know that they're coming they're being checked by UK standards Mm -hmm. Um, but of course once you've got that toy always check them make sure that they're all intact there's no magnets hanging out those types of things just be aware of what's going on in your house um, I'm really sounding like the fun police again, aren't I? But no, yeah, it's the, thought... the safety police. We like it. We like it. It's a it's a balance to be struck, isn't it? But these things are are essential. That's it. But I've taught my kids, you know. So um, my eldest is six, and, and Audrey's four, and they'll say to me, "Oh, mum." Um, this one's this one's cracked or if a balloon if we're playing with balloons that's another big risk if a balloon pops mm. I'll see them they'll grab it and they'll put that broken balloon straight into the bin because over time you know that they know my standards they know what we need to do to keep our house safe yeah. so um so that's another one but button batteries if I had a, a, another tip that's something that we all need to be aware of because again there's so many parents I speak to that that aren't even sure about the dangers of button batteries so, um, again, they're quite commonly in toys that haven't been checked by UK standards. And if that button battery or that lithium battery, you know, comes into contact with bodily fluids, if a child puts it in their mouth and it starts, you know, caustic soda production. So, you know, that if we don't get on top of it really quickly, again, that can be lethal. So what a small change that we can make, you know, to make our house really safe. Um, can I give four tips? I've just got Go one. on, go for it. Yeah, why not? We, we like breaking rules. 
Yeah, sorry, <laughs> I'm going to blend two there. But really, the, the biggest tip in all of this is just to talk to people, you know, talk to people around you. And I think that's something that I definitely saw during the pandemic is, you know, mums weren't getting out to baby groups and they weren't having these conversations and what an impact that had on everyone's anxiety. Um, but if you can talk to someone, talk to your friend or your mum, the grandparents, whatever, and explain to them what choking is, well, not only have you informed them, but you've also really concreted it in your brain as well. So it's like a double whammy. So always talk about this. Don't assume that anybody knows anything. It's always better just have a conversation about it. Brilliant. Oh, Sammy, thank you so much. And I know that the information you've shared today is going to help so, so many women. Um, as I said at the beginning, or, or parents or grandparents, um, but as I said at the beginning, you can check out all of Sammy's courses and her fabulous Instagram account just in the episode description. It has been wonderful to chat to you. And thank you again for allowing us to proceed with our weaning journey with much more confidence following your education. Oh, my pleasure. And it was so good to see you and obviously Finley as well. It's so good to see you both again. I really Finley, appreciate it. Are you going to say goodbye? Are you? Oh, that was a little wave there. That was a little wave. <laughs> Thank you, Sammy. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye. And that's it for another episode. I hope you enjoyed listening. Remember, you can use your exclusive discount code PODCAST15 on all my online courses. And why not check out my free mini course while you're there too? If you enjoyed listening to this episode, remember to hit subscribe so you're the first to hear about all the upcoming chats too. And I'd be immensely grateful if you could take a couple of minutes to leave me a quick podcast review too. I look forward to speaking to you again very soon. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.